series we've been calling Don't Lose Heart, looking at the various places where God's Word encourages us when we are weary and struggling and tempted to give up. And today we turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read uh, the whole chapter together, verses 1 to 18. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse one. The word of God says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the Word of God. Pain is a universal experience. Suffering is something everybody in this room can understand in one way or another. Maybe like me, many of you know I've experienced for the last two years off and on these sort of crippling migraines that will hit me on a Wednesday and then I'll be great by Sunday. Some of you have seen them hit me on a Sunday <laughs> and you are probably trying to forget that, right? Maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one. In the last few years, I know Dana and I have both had family members get sick and pass and we ourselves have experienced loss 
And in all this, we've learned that the old saying is true. Everyone is either riding into a storm, inside a storm currently, or is on their way into one and may not be ready for it. All of us are tempted to give up in the face of suffering, especially long-term suffering. And how do we not lose heart? This is where Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians here. In his second letter, more than any other, we see the apostle's heart and his hope for the church. It's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible, and we read the central point of our message today twice in these verses, and it is this, don't lose heart in suffering. In fact, the the phrase, don't lose heart, is sandwiched in this passage, verse 1 and verse 16. It kind of marks the beginning and the end. And in the midst of all this, we are given six reasons to not lose heart in suffering. Six sources of hope for wherever life may find you. And you may think, well, my life's pretty good. I don't need these. Put these in your pocket. You're going to need to pull these out at some point in your life, whether in the near future or maybe down the road, but you are going to need these sources of hope. Six reasons not to lose heart in suffering. First, we don't lose heart in suffering because of the mercy of God given to us. The mercy of God given to us. Look with me at verse 1. Look at this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We'll look a little bit at what this ministry is in a second. But notice that he roots everything. He grounds everything in the fact that God has shown him mercy. And in fact, he spent the first three chapters of 2 Corinthians just talking about and celebrating and overflowing in worship that God has shown him mercy. In particular, he's really focused in, in in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians on the new covenant God made through Jesus Christ. That through Moses, God made an old covenant and he gave the law. And we don't have time to look at everything 2 Corinthians says here, so you can go home and read that in your free time if you want. But the whole point... Paul is trying to tell us is that the law was never meant to save. That the old covenant, he calls it the ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, the letter that kills, and that it is actually veiling the worshiper from coming to God as he ought. That it was good, it came with glory, but that it ultimately came to an end in Paul's day and something new and better and more glorious was coming in its place. That rather than trying to come to God through law, through our own obedience, through our own power, we come through the Holy Spirit and are given life. We come by grace through faith, a ministry of righteousness, one where we are free to worship without a spiritual veil over our hearts. Look with me, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15, just a page over. We sort of get a summary of everything Paul here is trying to tell us. He says this, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice, just as an aside... 
Paul says twice that the Lord is the Spirit. He's telling us that the Holy Spirit is a person and that the Holy Spirit is God. So many times in Christian circles, people treat the Holy Spirit like he's sort of like the force from Star Wars. That isn't how it works. He's a person you can know and experience and worship and who lives inside and among God's people. He's the third person of the Trinity, truly God. And we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit here exalted, that he frees us from death and condemnation that the law brings. We're able to behold the glory of the Lord in a new way and thus be transformed by the Spirit into into greater degrees of glory. What incredible mercy, Paul says, that God would allow us to worship him and to become more like him in our life. We take it for granted, but Paul says we need to see it as a mercy. Now, this might strike you kind of as odd. You're like, well, Paul's speaking about the Old Covenant and thus the Old Testament in and, and kind of a negative fashion, isn't he? I mean, the ministry of death is kind of, a, kind of a negative term to put on something, isn't it? But if we think carefully, Paul is not being harsh, nor is he encouraging you to throw out two-thirds of your Bible. But he is wanting to be realistic with you about why God gave the law. See, the law was never meant to give us life by itself. Obedience could never bring us eternal life, but the law is given to show how sinful and broken we are. It's there to prepare the way for grace. Paul actually repeats this over in the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, 24 says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was meant to point us to Jesus, to show us why we need him. The King James actually translates guardian as schoolmaster. The law is meant to be a teacher, to teach us right from wrong, but also to teach us why we can't come to God on our own in order that we might turn to Jesus by faith and be justified by faith alone apart from works. The law brings death by itself, But when it points us to Jesus, it actually is a source of life. The law brings condemnation, but it makes way for the ministry of righteousness, that law and gospel, law and promise are both needed and both display the mercy of God. So many people just just really have struggles with the understanding that God would tell them what to do. But consider first, that's really a mercy that God has given you any idea of what to do in this life. He could have dropped you in the driver's seat and not given you any street signs, right? He could have left you with no idea of what to do. He doesn't owe us an explanation, but the sovereign of the universe has always given his people law to live by. Even Adam in the garden was given one law, and friends, Adam had it a lot better than you did, and he still couldn't keep that law, could he? He still chose his own way. Second, law really displays God's mercy because he hasn't left us to some, he hasn't simply left us with some standard we can never know. He hasn't like kind of left us without any rules and just went, well, I'm not even going to tell him what my expectations are. And in Christ, he's actually given us the spirit, a new and better covenant that not only redeems us, but is able to save us and transform us so that we're actually able to keep and obey God's law. 
And here's why I tell you all of this. What is the point of all this when it comes to your suffering? One of the biggest mistakes that you can make when you suffer is to, pres- is to try to fix it by pursuing after the law. <laughs> to think that, well, I'm suffering now, but if I just hunker down, if I just do better, if I just go to church more, that's going to make my life perfect. Nothing's ever going to go, nothing ever goes wrong with church people, right? Thank you. I'm glad we all hear that together, right? We assume that all suffering is due to breaking the law. And so we simply buckle down, and if we do better, we're not going to suffer next time. And there is a balance to reach, right? Let me tell you this. There are times where you suffer because of your own bad decision-making. Amen? (laughs) There are times where you break the law and you have consequences, but that doesn't mean that that is always why suffering occurs. There are plenty of times where righteous people suffer, where good things happen, where bad things happen to good people, (laughs) and where good things happen to bad people. This happens. Consider Job. That's the whole story of Job, where the righteous one has this incredible loss, and his friends could never understand that the righteous often suffer without any specific sin to tie it back to. And if you ever needed other encouragement of that, consider Jesus. (laughs) Friends, he never sinned. Look at the suffering he endured. What an example of God's mercy to us in the midst of suffering. We must not lose heart in suffering because as we suffer, we've been given the mercy of the new covenant. God's given us life, righteousness, the spirit, transformation, all these incredible things. So don't lose hearts. Second, and closely connected to this, he says, don't lose heart because of the ministry of the gospel through us. God's given you mercy in your life, but now think about the fact that God has stuff he wants to do through you. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1 again. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul Paul sees his own ministry as an apostle and as a preacher of the new covenant as a gift of mercy. Paul says, don't lose heart because there's work to do. And while we don't have the exact apostolic ministry Paul did, we do have ministry to do, don't we? We have a lost world that needs to be reached with the gospel, and we have a found church that needs to be discipled in the gospel. Don't give up and don't go the easy way. Look what he goes on to say there in verse 2. Look what he says. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, keep serving. Do so with integrity. Don't go the easy way. (laughs) Watering it down is the easy way to go. Not telling people the truth is actually the easy way to go. God's given this new covenant ministry, and that means that God's word must be unhindered and spoken with clarity. We don't try to change it, soften it. We speak openly and clearly, knowing that in one sense we've only got an audience of one, Jesus, but we got some other people listening in. And that's the world, and we must make sure that we are clear and that they need to hear what they need to hear. This is such an incredible responsibility, and that's why we don't lose heart or give up. 
Sometimes losing heart and giving up doesn't simply mean throwing in the towel. Sometimes it means giving in to the temptation of the culture to just soften a little bit. To go, well, I'm just going to switch this in order to, because people don't really like to hear about this, right? I'm not going to talk about that issue. People people don't want to talk about that. And Paul here, just to be clear, isn't simply talking to the preacher behind the pulpit on Sunday. He does have me in mind. He is talking to, he is talking to me, but he's also talking to all of us. Because as you are speaking, parents, to your children, to train them in the way of the Lord, he says, do it openly, clearly. Don't soften things for them. They're going to they're gonna hear about it in one sense, Right? He says, hey, as you're speaking to a coworker, maybe you're on your lunch break and that coworker comes in and they ask a question about faith, in that moment you will have the opportunity to speak openly and clearly what God has said or to squish. You're going to have two opportunities. And he says, make sure that you're ready by the mercy of God to say what God has said. And verse 3 paints a powerful picture of what happens when we keep going in the ministry God's given to us. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4. And verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake." For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, don't give up. Don't lose heart on preaching the word. Why? Because there are lost people perishing in their sin. He says, don't give up because they've been blinded by the God of this world. That's another sort of, that's a euphemism or another name for Satan. And they need their eyes opened. They need the world that that has, they need the word that has brought everything from nothing to bring spiritual light and life into their dark and dying souls. They need to see through the eyes of faith the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so often when we suffer, we focus all in on ourselves. We got this little pity party, right? Woe is me. And he says, sometimes what you need is one of the things we need to do is look around. You've been saved for a purpose, and God has given us as his people far too great a cause to give up on, far too great a ministry to lose heart, because God is still saving people. God is still in the business of saving people, and these these verses remind us that every salvation is a miracle. Friends, have you ever heard somebody talk about having an exciting testimony and then felt like your testimony is really boring? You meet the guy or the girl, you know who they are, and, and they, they were saved out of drugs, alcohol, sex, worldliness. They were literally living in the street next to hell. And they go, you know, it's a miracle God saved me. And they're right. <laughs> it was a miracle that God saved them. But you know what's also a miracle? when God saves the good church kid. (laughs) When God saves the kid that hasn't necessarily done all of those things because every salvation is a miracle of recreation, a powerful act of God. 
Whether you're 6 or 66, when God saves, it's a miracle of grace, and it's to be celebrated. And he says, don't give up. Don't give up. God is still in the saving business, and he has displayed grand mercy, and he's given us a great ministry. And that means we got to be willing to suffer to endure suffering in order to see the gospel at work in others and at work in us. And it means that when you suffer as a Christian, you are a living testimony to others around you of the power of the gospel. We've seen this. We all have people that come to mind in this body that we have seen or know are suffering, and we've seen them stand firm in faith and suffer well and give glory to God in the face of unspeakable tragedy. And friends, that encourages us, doesn't it? That says something not just to the world, but it says something to those of us that are here. And what that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that they never cried, that they were never sad. That means that they knew that they were in the hands of their heavenly Father who loved them and who was with them and who promised that somehow He will work all things together for good. If He's shown us such great mercy and He's given us such a ministry, how could He not have a powerful and glorious future prepared for us? Don't grow weary In your suffering, God has shown you mercy. God's given you a ministry, but he's also wanting to do more in you. Third, don't lose heart because of the power of God working within us. Don't give up. God's at work in you. Look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. I love this imagery. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God has given unshakable news to easily shaken people. God has put treasures in easily broken clay pots. And he's done this in order to show his power at work in us. He's done it that he might get the glory and not any of us. And look what he continues to say in verse 8. I love this. I love this. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Doesn't that sound like a great weekend for you? (laughs) And he says, as a Christian, this is somewhat of our experience, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, yet not cursed, not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. I think we should post this verse outside the church. Come to Jesus and suffer. (laughs) But don't be crushed. Don't give up. Don't lose heart because God is at work in us. In suffering and only in suffering will God's power be fully displayed in your life. Verse 10, look at this. He describes all of this as carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He says your weakness, whether sickness, Fear, brokenness, loss, hopelessness, whatever it is may feel like death, but the good news is God's all about bringing dead to life. What may seem like death to you may actually be bringing spiritual life to you and others. God's power displayed in you. 
And that's actually one of the main purposes with which Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. He was going to show that his apostolic ministry had tons of suffering in. There are people going, if he's a true apostle, he shouldn't suffer like that. (laughs) If he were really telling the truth, his life wouldn't be that difficult. But Paul's here to show that all of his ministry, suffering included, was divinely given and that God was at work in it. We're so quick to judge by earthly standards, but to miss God behind it all. Look what he says at the end of the letter. Flip over, if you're in 2 Corinthians, find chapter 11 and look at verse 24. And look at this. Paul's kind of begins to respond a little bit to all these people that are talking about how, well, if he were really an apostle, he wouldn't suffer. You know, he, yeah, there were all these people kind of not wanting wanting them to reject Paul. And look what he says. I love this. Chapter 11, verse 24. Four times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So he says, five times I got whipped by him 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak. And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? I must boast. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. How about that for a ministry resume? Guy turns this in. I've been beaten up. There's political leaders waiting to catch me. He's been shipwrecked not once, but three times. I probably would have got off a boat about the second time. Never again, right? We might look to someone who's experienced all that and go, man, he's not successful at all. <laughs> Give it up, Paul. Maybe ministry just isn't for you. Certainly, certainly Jesus would want his apostle to live his best life now, right? Because he wants that for us. That's what the guy on the TV told me, right? Yet in the midst of it all, Paul would see God's hand at work. Let me show you one other passage. So you're in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul continues into chapter 12. He goes from the, from the, the valleys of ministry to the peaks. He talks about all these incredible things God showed him. And then he says this in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hard hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look what he says. What if God has made you weak in this moment to display his power through your life? 
What if your sickness, your struggle, and your suffering was actually your strength? And what if God's power and grace wants to shout through your life that he is sufficient? Because hear me, God only uses weak people. If you're not weak yet, or you don't know you're weak, God's not going to use you that way. He only uses weak people. We don't lose heart because of the power of God at work in us. So he's looking back at the mercy and the ministry he's been given. He's looking at God's work in him, but he goes from present to the future. Back in 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 13. He looks forward. Paul says this, For since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Here's his point. We don't give up because of the hope of resurrection before us. <laughs> we don't give up because of the hope of resurrection before us. He moves from present and he says, I got to always be reminded that there's something in the future that God has promised. I got to always look forward to the fact that God has promised to raise me one day from the dead. And he starts by quoting from Psalm 116. And we hear there the psalmist, whoever it was, spoke in faith in the midst of suffering that God was going to save him. And Paul says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to believe God's promises, and he's going to resurrect me from the dead one day. That in Christ, my greatest enemy, death, is actually my greatest friend. Paul would write this elsewhere where he would say this, Philippians 1.21, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul goes on to say elsewhere, he's like, what can they do to me? They leave me alive. I preach Jesus. They kill me. Jesus is all the more glorified. He's like, you just can't keep the apostle down. <laughs> because he knows that God has promised through it all to raise him from the dead. And this gives us a whole new perspective on suffering. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13 again. Look at this. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I have believed and so I spoke. There he quotes the Psalms. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his glorious presence. God's going to raise us just as he raised Jesus and bring us into his presence. He's talking about the blessed hope, the second coming of Jesus when we will rise and be with him forever. There is a day when every cemetery will be emptied. When every funeral home put out of business and God's people will live with our king in a new creation without death. And what that means, so many of us hear about the second coming of Jesus and we think, well, I'm just going to hunker down. And I'm going to let the world go by the, go by the wayside. Who cares? I'm not living for this world. But he says, no, this is meant to encourage us to continue in our walk of faith to run looking forward and giving thanks for the work in the present. Verse 15, For it is all for your sake, 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, we give ourselves continually toward ministry with an eye toward the eternal day. Parents, give yourself toward an eye for the eternal day. They may get to college, but think about the day when they appear before their king. When you consider your job, consider that one day, ultimately, you're going to come before God and give an account for how you served Him in that job. Don't just focus on the paycheck or the promotion. Focus on the one you're working for. When you're struggling in your marriage, don't just think about, let's just get through another year. Think about the fact that that, according to the book of 1 Peter, is a co-heir with you in the grace of life. Or for the prodigal, don't throw up your hands but realize that God isn't done yet. And we do all that with an eye toward the second coming, toward the day of resurrection. We need eyes set forward in faith in order to not grow weary or lose heart. But if we ever get our eyes set on what's around us, we're in trouble. If we ever get focused on the news, boy, we're in trouble, aren't we? (laughs) But friends, if we get our eyes focused on Jesus, and on the grand plan he has, then, friends, we are unstoppable. He's focused here, and he says, hey, we become more thankful when we look back, and we see grace, and we look forward, and we see resurrection. And he says, I desire more and more people to see this to the glory of God. Then he says this in verse 16, so we don't lose hearts. It says, particularly, don't lose heart because no matter how dark it gets, God's word gives us confidence that new life and glorious light are always shining out of the grave. We might mourn and we do suffer, but not as those who have no hope. Jesus has risen and through faith in him one day we will rise again to new glorious life. And God is preparing for us this eternal life through your temporal existence, through suffering. God's actually preparing you for eternity through things in this life. And this brings us to number five. We don't lose heart because of the continuous renewal in us. Continuous renewal in us. Look at verse 16 again. Look at this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. You may be falling apart. (laughs) You may be wasting away. But in the gospel, through faith, by the Spirit, God is renewing you more into His image. See, God is not after your momentary comfort, but rather your joy and eternal glory. God is not after your best life now. but in your eternal life later. And step by step, we are headed toward this glorious reality. He said this back in chapter 3, didn't he? We read that at the start of the service, that he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. What may appear to be a shipwreck may actually be God's work of renewal in you. If our Savior had to suffer, how can we ever become like him if we aren't willing to suffer too? But it does remind us God's got a finish date. God's got a finish line to the race of faith. But until we get there, we recognize that God is renewing us inwardly day by day. One degree of glory 
to the next. Let me tell you this. The Spirit will generally move you forward in inches and not in miles. (laughs) Friends, I've said this before. God doesn't want hot pocket Christians. Stick them in, cook them, let them out. That's not how God works. There may even be times you got to crawl your way there. And the life of faith will be full of failures. But the key is that you must fail forward. (laughs) You fail forward in worship, moving toward the goal that God would have for you. Your outward self may be wasting away, but inwardly, God is making you more like Jesus. And one day, God will perfectly renew us inwardly and outwardly glorified and transformed to be like Jesus. And this is the sixth and final hope we've got. The sixth and final reason that we don't lose heart in suffering is because the weight of glory awaiting us. The weight of glory awaiting us. Look how he finishes verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for things that are seen are transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. Let me tell you, when I first read verse 17, I actually got a little upset with Paul. (laughs) Like, Paul, you're saying what I'm dealing with is light and momentary? Why don't you say that to my face, right? (laughs) He says, the cancer, the loss of a family member, chronic pain, whatever it is, he says, how can that be light and momentary? But then I look at what Paul said in chapter 11 of all he had to go through, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess what I'm dealing with isn't, I'm not shipwrecked three times and getting beaten by, you know, by guards. I don't have governors waiting to kidnap me, so that's good. But how can it all be light and momentary? He says, when it's compared to the glory to be revealed. It's very light and momentary compared to the weight of glory. I love that imagery of weights. The comparison between our suffering and eternity will not even be comparable beyond all comparison. The seen is fading away and the unseen is forever. Think about this. The Grand Canyon's pretty cool. The galaxy's a whole lot cooler. Right? The Grand Canyon appears pretty big, but whenever you start to compare it to like the universe, you're like, this is nothing. <laughs> we often play the compare our sufferings game, don't we? We go, well, you think you got it bad. Let me tell you what's going on with me. But God silences all comparison when glory is brought into the equation. Because think about this. You may live 70, 80, 90 years But eternity with Jesus will be 90 billion years and still just beginning. Eternity is something that's very hard to grasp. It's going to be weird to think about living outside of time and God dwelling with us. And I don't have all the answers for how that's going to feel, how that's going to look. But we all get so caught up in the first few chapters of the story when God's got books and books and books and books to write. We, we are very prone to judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and we do that with our life as well. God has a very straightforward and clear message for you this morning. Don't lose heart in suffering. Whatever it is, I don't know what's going on, and I'm not even going to begin to compare sufferings to one another. 
Whatever suffering it is, don't give up. Whatever's currently in your life, when your life is defined by the cross and the empty tomb, he says it is light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that's prepared for us. He says that if you are in Christ, cancer will not get the final word. (laughs) That you might forget everything with Alzheimer's, but God will not forget you. That fear will not be how you're remembered. Broken will not be the last words of your story. And whatever weakness you have is actually God's strength and grace shouting through you. All of us are going to suffer. Some of you just got out of a season and you're like, that's not what I want to hear, Pastor. I kind of want to hear that it's all going to be smooth sailing from here. It's not. Something's going to come eventually, right? That's why we store these away. Some of you are in a storm right now and encouraged by this. Others are headed toward a storm and you don't even know it yet. But wherever you go, Jesus is meant to be the captain of the boat of our life. No matter how rough the seas get, how crazy the storms are, we have a sure and steady anchor and a faithful and true captain leading us to the glory land on the other side. That's the confidence we have as believers. But let me speak frankly to you. If you're not a Christian today, if what I've said to you seems very foreign and you've never experienced what Paul's talking about in verses 4 to 6 of this awakening to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian today, the Bible says that outside of Christ, this life is truly the best there is for you. It doesn't get any better. It only gets worse. It actually tells us that if you're not a Christian, that the sufferings of this life will not even be comparable to the sufferings of the next when Jesus is not your Savior. That all of us fail to live according to God's law, and therefore we're under the ministry of death and condemnation but that God has done everything necessary in sending Jesus into the world to make a new and better covenant. He took the death and condemnation upon himself on the cross, and he rose again on the third day that we might be justified by faith, that we might be put in right relationship with God, not based on just trying to do better next time, but by grace through faith, not through more obedience to the law, but through trusting in the one who lived in perfect obedience to the law. If you're outside of Jesus today, you're driving your boat into an eternally deeper and darker storm, whether you see it or not. Friends, you ever seen one of those storms where it's clear outside and all of a sudden just, that might be what's happening with you. But Jesus stands ready. If you're not a Christian Today, you can turn from your sin and yourself and trust in Jesus to be the anchor and the captain of your life. And it doesn't mean your life will get any better. In the meantime, it might actually get a little harder. But it does give you an anchor and a hope in the midst of the storms of your life. And if you are a Christian today, you're welcome during this next time of of reflection. You can come forward right to these steps and pray. You can come forward and pray with me. You can Pray with the people around you. Whatever step you need to take. Maybe you're in a dark storm and and you just need to know God's people are praying for you. Whatever it is, we know that though this world with devils filled may threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph 
through us. Let us stand and let's pray together. Father, we come to you in prayer in these moments. Lord, recognizing there are people here today who don't know you, who've not placed their faith and their hope and eternity in you, and we're concerned for their soul. We long for them to have an anchor and a hope in the midst of their suffering, whether it be illness, whether it be sickness, whether it be loss, whatever it is, and ultimately that they would have an unshakable relationship with the one who is holding the world in their hands. And Lord, I pray that they would, in these moments, come forward, pray, talk to somebody, pray where they are, and you will meet them right where they're at. And Lord, for us believers here today who are going through Apostle Paul-like experiences, shipwrecks, seeming hopelessness, may we see in these next moments that your grace is sufficient for us, your power made perfect in our weakness. And Lord, you are at work whether we see it in this moment or not. However, we need to respond. May we in these moments do business with you. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. today for his glory and for our good. If you do have suffering in your life or need people to pray for you, there is always a prayer box back at the back. You can leave your requests. There's a get connected card back there if you need a church family to come around you or need even some personal meeting time to talk through something. That's kind of the best way to get in touch with with someone. But in these moments, whatever it is, we hear the word of God be a comfort to us. And we're comforted today with a benediction, words from God to us wherever we are as we head out into the world today. This from 1 Peter chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever.